word. I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on this Season 6, Episode 2 of Word, we continue breaking the mold in this companion episode to our season opener earlier this month. There isn't a whole lot of aesthetic or artistic distance between, say, the speaker of the poems and the person who wrote them. Plus, Phoenix has a new Youth Poet Laureate. Poetry just can really be a voice for communities in a lot of ways. So I'm just really drawn to poetry for reasons like that. But first, H. Allen Day is the author of three memoirs, one entitled Lazy Bee, Growing Up on a Cattle Ranch in the American Southwest. That is about his very famous sister, which we will address, and it was also co-written by her. Allen is a lifelong rancher who has a lot of experience managing wild horse herds and currently lives in Tucson. Wild horses have been a, a big part of my life, you know, and a big part of my thoughts for a lot of years. And uh, so I, I certainly have been connected with that whole industry or thought process or whatever you want to call it. And did that come from your experience growing up and being involved in farming and ranching? We didn't have any wild horses on our ranch in Arizona, but I was just always uh, kind of made myself a part of the wild horse scene. And then at one point in time, I took care of 1,500 wild Mustangs on contract with the government and took wow. care of them on my ranch in South Dakota for quite a period of time. And just really, it was the highlight of my ranching career is dealing with those horses and making friends with them and day to day, what the horses do and how they feel. And it was so cool because got to where I could ride out right in the middle of the herd and they'd look up and, you know, you could read their face and they'd say, oh, it's you. What do you want? <laughs> how, how cool is that? Did you actually get to the point where you named some of them? Out of 1,500, probably named about 10. Another interesting side of your life is that your love of storytelling has led to writing books. And in fact, a 2002 book, about growing up on a cattle ranch in the American Southwest. You co-wrote this with your sister, who our listeners will be surprised to know is former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. One of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is as this program is released, uh, she was first sworn in September 25th, 1981. So we're right on that anniversary. I wondered if you could tell me, was there something that you saw in her from a young age that thought... She's a trailblazer. You know, she's going to make history one day. You know, I was 10 years younger than Sandra, so I was just the little boy that was kind of in awe of his older sister. But uh, when she got into Stanford at age 16, well, my, my parents, you know, said, wow, you know, that's amazing. And, and, it, and it was and my dad had always wanted to go to Stanford, never did. But that was like the pinnacle of his thoughts in growing up is, well, if I could go to Stanford, that would be the best place ever. And so Sandra cruised into there when she was 16. And then real quick story about that. Her roommate in, in Stanford, who's still a family friend, the two of them got there in 1940. 
1946. And that was the year that all the uh, servicemen returned from World War II. Right. And all of the colleges said, come one, come all, we'll accept all of you. So Stanford went from, I don't know, 6,000 students up to 12,000 in one year. And it was those returning veterans. And that was the year Sandra got there. And so she and Beatsy were rooming together, but here were these two, and Beatsy was from a ranching family, and here were these two ranch girls, ranch raised on ranches, the only two in Stanford that had been raised on ranches. <laughs> and they were there the year that all these 20 and 22-year-old, 24-year-old veterans were coming. So it changed the whole scene at Stanford greatly. But the two of them got together and they said, wow, this is a scene that's never going to be recreated. I mean, this is a special time and we better study real hard because there's all these smart, dedicated people here that really want to get an education. It's not just because they graduate high school. They're come back from having seen an ugly part of the world. And so they said, we better get busy. So at the end of the first year, they were rated number one and number two in their class. Wow. That's just you know, amazing. So, and Sandra being my sister, I was proud of her for that. But I guess I thought, hey, if anybody can do it, it's her. I know you also have a podcast called the Cowboy Up Podcast. What's it about? And why did you choose to kind of move into that platform as opposed to maybe writing more books? I mean, I know that you've written at least three books, right? Well, and I have another one that's completed in draft form and needs editing. So, yeah, I continue to write a little, but not not real fast. But uh, anyway, well, I've become friends with Russell True, who's one of the good people in the world. And Russell owns the White Stallion Guest Ranch here in Tucson. And so he and I laugh and we, we say we're both ranchers, but he ranches people and I ranch cattle, <laughs> but ranching is ranching. So uh, Russell then came up with the idea. He said, well, why don't we do a, a podcast? Because we kind of, we come from kind of the same industry, but from a different viewpoint in, in that industry. And so we can kind of compliment each other or share stories or what all. So we started doing that and uh, we do one a week, but we're on, I think, number 54 of weeks that we've done a podcast. So it's not like we're not newbies now, we're solid with it. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. We, we find that, you know, I'll have a story about something and then he'll have a story of a similar story uh, in parallel to that. And uh, it's it just good two personalities that just mesh pretty well. So I, I do it mostly because it's a lot of fun. Likewise, and I feel really lucky to be doing this podcast in addition to all of the other things that I do, reporting here at KJZZ and uh, hosting some of the national programming as the local person. Can you give us a hint on what you're writing about and when that book may be available? <laughs> well, the books that before that were all memoirs, yes. you know, that were events that had happened in my life or that touched me or, you know, memoir. And I kind of ran out of memoir. You know, somebody can't be big enough to write 10 memoirs. Right. They, you know, <laughs> you can't have that many experiences. 
So uh, woke up one morning with a novel that was fully formed. And so sat down and, and wrote this novel. And the second part of the novel is actually set on a ranch in Argentina. It's in essence a love story that uh, starts in New York City and ends up on a ranch in Argentina. Well, Alan Day, please come back to us when that book is available because we'd love to talk about it and the transition from, you know, what it's like to write a memoir into writing a piece of fiction. Um, I consider both actually art forms. That's what we talk about on this podcast, literature and the literary arts. But, Alan, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about yourself, your past experiences, and uh, what's ahead for the future. Well, thank you for calling, and it's been a pleasure. You can find out about Alan's past books and his podcast on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. KJZZ and The Moth are bringing you The Moth Story Slam, live and in person. It's an open mic storytelling competition in Phoenix. It's at the Crescent Ballroom on Wednesday, September 29th. The topic is gatherings, stories about meetups, rallies, speed dating, and soul searching. And note that proof of vaccination will be required for entry. Tickets and information at themoth.org slash events. Did you know two out of every three NPR listeners Prefer to purchase products and services from public radio sponsors? You can see the benefits of becoming a KJZZ corporate sponsor at sponsor.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. We're breaking the mold again on this episode with poet Maggie Smith, who actually has no connection to Arizona or the region per se, but her work is highly lauded by Public Radio International, or PRI, and NPR, programming from which we, of course, carry at KJZZ. Her new book of poems, Goldenrod, is her fourth professional work, but Maggie has been writing since the seventh grade. I don't think I got any good at it until probably 10 years later. <laughs> and so I've, I've really been writing most of my life, and it's, it's the thing that I do that makes me feel most like myself. So it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like if I weren't writing these things down, I would still be thinking them, if that makes sense. Um, And so, yeah, yeah. Goldenrod is my fifth book, my fourth book of poems. And uh, it's funny, looking back through my previous books, it really does feel like kind of a continued conversation that I'm both having with myself on paper and um, and having with readers over time. I can definitely see that. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about on that vein is the use of the word I quite frequently in many poems. I picked up on that. Is it important to you to use that pronoun? Is there a conscious reason why? It's a, it's a, that's a funny question, and I'm glad you asked, um, because I've been thinking a lot about that in this book in particular, my last three books of poems all had a lot more third person poems in them. They had poems where I would maybe use persona and write maybe an I poem, but from the point of view of someone other than myself or uh, third person poems um, about others or about objects or about places. And really Goldenrod is the first book where 
pretty much all the way through, I'm writing very close to the bone and very close to myself. And so there isn't a whole lot of uh, aesthetic or artistic distance between say the speaker of the poems and the person who wrote them. Um, most of these are really from my life. So I felt completely natural because I'm writing about my home and my neighborhood and my kids and in a few, my dog. Um, and so that was sort of a, a natural thing to just own it and write in first person. Well, also, and the language is just extremely accessible, I think, for your average reader. That was one of the things that I liked about this collection, Goldenrod. And I'm curious about the title because I got to confess, I'm allergic to Goldenrod. A lot of people <laughs> think of it as kind of a weed, but this was certainly much more endearing than the plant to me. That's funny. A lot of people are, are, are like, your book cover makes me, my eyes water and I feel a sneeze coming on. And I'm like, oh no. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when I'm trying to title a book of poems, the, the thing I do really with every book is just go to the table of contents, go to the list of poems in the book. And I look for poems that I think, the titles that I think kind of carry some metaphorical freight or are somehow representative of the collection. And so uh, in, this, in this book, a poem like Walking the Dog or Small Shoes um, wouldn't have been appropriate titles for the, the whole book. They just don't feel like they really speak to everything in it. Um, and the more I thought about, there were a few contenders, Goldenrod was one of, on the short list. And when, uh, the more I thought about it, sort of being something that's a weed, but it's also beautiful and that idea of perception and also the fact that it's um, it's a healing plant, that the scientific name right. Solidago means to make whole or to heal. And I thought that felt like metaphorically, given how much brokenness is in these poems, I liked that gesture for the title of the book. You also do pick up on the human nature aspect in some of these poems and relatively contemporary, you know, with the stanza, America, you've caged even the babies. They cry mostly in Spanish. America, this is you. And uh, I'm pretty sure I know what that's referring to. I'm assuming that has to deal with custody at uh, the border. Yeah. I mean, I have not been a tremendously political poet over the course of my career. I tend to try to sort of sideways <laughs> to deal with things slant, as Emily Dickinson would put it. And yet the past few years, I mean, the, the, this book, Goldenrod, was really written between 2015 and 2020. And those were pretty momentous years um, for me personally, but also I think for us collectively. And, um, and as a parent, I found myself having a lot of difficult conversations with my kids that I didn't have to have, you know, eight or 10 years ago, both because some of these things weren't issues and also because they weren't old enough to have those conversations with them. And so in Goldenrod, I've kind of dealt with a, a few things in a, in a more head-on direct way than I have in other books. And, and that child separation policy at, at the border was one I just could not and cannot wrap my head around. And so when I'm grappling with things, um, one of the things I do is I take it to the page and I may you know, show up to the page with a ton of questions and I may not actually leave the page with answers. I may just leave with better articulated questions but there's something about processing 
on paper that I find really useful. Yeah. And then, so what's the editing process like after that? You know, it depends. I mean, some of the poems in this book came together pretty quickly. And so they kind of showed up fully formed. And then I just kind of go through and I tighten things up. Like I take my little mini wrench to the poem and maybe I change some word choices (laughs) or I see uh, an opportunity to get a little bit of suspense or maybe a double meaning if I change where a line breaks across a sentence. But some of them took years, frankly, to come together. There's a poem in this book called Half Staff that I started writing when my daughter was in preschool and she's now in middle school. So (laughs) some poems, you know, I can work on them for a little bit. And if they're just not, they just don't seem to be yielding, the best thing I can do is set them aside and trust future me to know what to do with it. Maggie, I wondered if you would take us out with a quick poem from Goldenrod. I've just been letting myself do this by opening the book and seeing where I land. So I I opened up to one of the poems in the book that is toward the end, um, and it was written during uh, quarantine. It's called During Lockdown, I Let the Dog Sleep in My Bed Again. And speaking of revision, I have to say, I revised the dog out of the poem. So over several drafts, the dog at one point made an appearance late in the poem and and I revised her out. So now she just lives in the title. During lockdown, I let the dog sleep in my bed again. Last night, my daughter cried at bedtime. Of loneliness, she said. She's seen the graph, the jagged mountain we need to press into a meadow. And maybe she pictures the drive home from Southern Ohio how the green hills flatten without us doing a damn thing, no sacrifice required. I tell her the steep peak makes loneliness our work, makes an honorable task of it. But I shut myself in the bathroom and cry hard into a hand towel. I walk alone in the snow, squinting up into the big wet flakes, letting them bathe my face. I tell myself it is a kind of touch, I tell myself it will do. One thing that speaks to me in that poem is how hard it must be for parents, and I am not one, but how hard it must be and and has been for parents to, I don't know, keep a tough face on through this pandemic, particularly when children are grieving and experiencing the loss of their loved ones, as many have. That's kind of the sense that I get from this poem. Yeah, it's, uh, I sort of half joked that there really could be a very thick coffee table book from the pandemic times called Mothers Crying in Bathrooms, <laughs> because we really have gone through a time where we have to, you know, be honest with our kids, but keep a brave face and keep a sense of optimism and, and hope. And, um, you know, we just have to get through this and it won't always be that way. But even knowing it's temporary is difficult, especially when there's no end in sight really, no clear end in sight. And so it's a delicate dance for sure. Maggie Smith is author of Goldenrod, a new book of poems that's out. Maggie, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. You can find out a bit more about Maggie Smith on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You're a texting, emailing, tweeting extraordinaire. You and your cell phone are inseparable. It's the first thing you grab in the morning and the last thing you see before bed. 
Tap your screen and download the KJZZ mobile app. You can listen live and multitask. Tap the KJZZ app and stay connected. It's at your app store. You have your favorites. Oh man, my favorite mug. And maybe it's about time to treat yourself to a new favorite. Mugs and t-shirts for you and the family are at shop.kjzz.org. So what are you waiting for? Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Since 2019, Creative Youth of Arizona has offered the Phoenix Youth Poet Laureate Program. The organization is led by Akila Bendlora and Heather Laurel Jensen. This year's recipient is Myra Kamal. Recently, I caught up with Akila and Myra to talk about CYAZ and the experience of being a young poet. Creative Youth of Arizona is an organization that's dedicated to promoting opportunity around creative writing and just creative arts in general around Arizona. And my role specifically within that is as the co-president with my other lovely co-president, Heather Laurel Jensen, who unfortunately could not be here today. But what we do is try and produce opportunities for young people in Arizona regarding the arts. And one of those programs is the Phoenix Youth Poet Laureate Program, which has been up and running for the last three years. Why do you think writing is important? And some people don't consider writing as an art. I always have. Why do you think it's important to get the message out, especially for younger people? I think writing is so important. One, just as a means of reflecting and like considering the world around you. If we don't stop and like take things in, how are we supposed to be expected to act? That's my first reaction to whenever people ask me why creative writing is so important. I think number two, especially for young people, I think that poetry is just a means of expression. And I think it's one of the most accessible means of expression out there with visual art specifically, you have to have supplies and like, like literally like a canvas and like paints and all of this and like photography, you need a camera. Like those are all expensive, but with poetry, it's basically anything you want it to be and all you need is a pen and a paper or even just your notes app so that's one of the reasons why I think poetry is so beautiful and like creative writing in general you just need a pen and paper and your ideas. Myra you're joining a short list as the Youth Poet Laureate. How long have you been an avid poet? My family and my mom really love poetry so it's always been a part of my life. I've been a poet since I think I would I would call myself a poet since middle to high school because that's when I started really getting into it and taking classes. And how old are you now? I'm 16. Are you more interested in poems that have a form, for instance, like, I don't know, a sinquain or a sonnet? Or are you more interested in free verse? I'm actually more interested in free verse because I love reading a lot of contemporary poetry and online literary magazines, but I definitely think that learning those kind of fixed forms are really important to have like a poetry foundation, but I definitely lean more contemporary. Can you explain, Akila, sort of the submission process, how you go about choosing the Youth Poet Laureate? Every May, we open up an application on our website, creativeyouthofarizona.org, and submissions usually close in early to late June, just depending on when judges are ready. And as far as like how judging happens, we have a list of local poets, and we also have a couple young people as judges, too, because we think it's important that young people's poetry is judged in the context of another young person as well. So yeah, we have like local poets, young people, community organizers serving as judges, and then they deliberate, they go through rubrics and all of that. And then usually by the end of July, we have 
our finalists. So, so that's usually three people. And then we hold a ceremony in August and we announce Youth Poet Laureate at the ceremony. So it's a surprise. Myra, I'm curious, you mentioned your love of poetry, but not everybody enters contests like these. Why did you enter the contest? I've known about the Youth Poet Laureate program um, since it started. And so I've been, it's been a goal that I've been kind of working towards. I think that I like poetry as opposed to kind of other writing forms, just because poetry has such a rich history, especially with spoken word. Um, I think it was, it's really important and it has been throughout history. And I think poetry just can really be a voice for communities in a lot of ways. So I'm just really drawn to poetry for a lot of reasons like that. I think it's really powerful and specifically with the um, the contest I entered because it's just a really unique opportunity to be able to represent your hometown in any way you're passionate about and so um, I'm just really glad I found it. And Akila, will you then work with Myra over the course of this year to bring awareness to certain groups in the Phoenix metro region or around the state? Yes, so Creative Youth of Arizona in the context of the Phoenix Youth Cult Laureate Program higher goal is to support the Phoenix Youth Poet Laureate and whatever they choose to do with their year. So, well, for Annika, who was the last Phoenix Youth Poet Laureate, she was super passionate about mental health. So that meant having her collaborate with like an organization um, and going into high schools and doing mental health workshops with poetry. So things like that, we try to get done during the year. And we also like try and organize events and like workshops and just like open mics so that the Youth Poet Laureate has time and space to really perform and yeah just be comfortable in poetry and their art form well that's great and i wondered myra do you happen to have a short poem that you might perform for us yes i do i would love to do that yeah if you could just tell us the title and uh, when it was written so this poem is called growing news i wrote it this month and um it's just a short excerpt of it you and i sculpted from the same clay budding like sun eclipsing on our skins. We pick fruit together. Outside, lightning grazes our cheeks like kisses. You press plum tree flowers into a notebook. Tell me all dry petals will lose their color at the end of the world. Colors age and die, but I'll remember us both in color. The lilacs of our laughs, the warm reds of every evening, Teach me to be like you, your body cradled in grass, your eyes always searching for stars with no name. Sometimes you paint me for a moment. Sometimes I'm painting you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful and quite advanced, I think, for a 16-year-old, if I may say. You know, just Thank you. <laughs> full disclosure, I was a teacher for many years, and I would have prayed to have something that eloquence at your age. That was many years ago. Uh, Times have definitely changed. And I think sometimes younger people are forced maybe to grow up a little bit faster these days. And so I sincerely mean that as a compliment. And that's kind of reminiscent of what we've been going through here this season. You mentioned you you wrote this very recently, but it is monsoon season. We have seen lightning this year, certainly a lot more uh, rain this year and more budding flowers as a result. Oh, I completely agree. I think my environment definitely always affects my writing. Like whatever is happening in our world today will just come through in people's writing for sure. 
Well, Akila and Myra, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about the Phoenix Youth Poet Laureate Program. And then, of course, Creative Youth of Arizona. Akila and Myra, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You can find out a bit more about Creative Youth of Arizona on our website at word.kjzz.org. If you have a suggestion for a future show, just send us an email at that same link. I'm Tom Maxidon, and we'll be back with another episode of Word in early October to discuss literature in Arizona and the region. Word. Word? Word. Was the word. Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.